HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Roberta's Pizza. Roberta'spizza.com. I'm Damon Bolte, host of The Speakeasy. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. We're back. Judy, you're back. I'm back, y'all. <laughs> y'all. Y'all, I thought you'd be uh, speaking with some sort of brogue by now, but you've... But no, you've, but I, you've... I lost my brogue in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> I had it for a week and a half, and then it went. And then I went to the South, stuffed myself with biscuits and racism and transphobia and homophobia. Really? That bad, huh? It's beautiful. and It's pretty on the outside. And and I mean, you've been to Ireland. We've been back since you've been to Ireland on your Rumspringer. Yeah, it's hard to keep track of you. Well, it won't be so hard in the coming year and a half because I don't see myself going anywhere. (laughs) No, you're breaking breaking my heart. No, no, I don't know. You're breaking my heart. Last week I was saying you're out on assignment, and you know, like I I always say, thinking about. The completely irrelevant show, sixty minutes. Um, I always figured when they said Mike Wallace was like out an assignment, I just figured he was like too fucked up to make it to work <laughs> that day. Well, I was in Georgia for a wedding in Savannah, and it really is beautiful. And we were totally charmed by the South until we took this this tour, this ghost tour in a hearse that was. It looked really cool, except our driver, Pegleg Ronnie. Um, <laughs> He's like, I'm peg like Ronnie. Oh, my. His thing was saying, oh, my, over and over again. And he had this accent that was like Baltimore mixed with the South. It was the least attractive accent ever. And, um, <laughs> and this is from someone who's from Newark saying that. Well, you know, <laughs> Philadelphia has the worst accent. I know they just had that worst accent contest, but it took place in, you know, Scranton, I think, won. Which is pretty close. But yeah, he, he like called Lady Chablis a major figure in Midnight in the Garden of Evil, that story. Right. He called her a she-him. Um, our bro- one of the bridesmaids had was walking down the street, had the nerve to walk down the street with her girlfriend, caught shit for that, in a, in a town that's like an art college town. So, I mean, ever since yeah. seeing Lady Chablis in the Midnight in the Garden of Evil, I've always wanted to go there. 
It's beautiful. I mean, it looks like it was beautiful antebellum paradise. Yeah, and very spooky, which is very cool. To, and the food is fantastic. But, um, you know, I started like, oh, let me look at real estate down here. And then it's just like you just start noticing things that you take for granted in New York. Like, like tolerance? <laughs> little things <laughs> like, like that. Like accepting your non-straight, non-white human beings? Yeah. Yeah, so there'll be no Southern living. So I like the, uh, I'm sure you're right there in the very, the melting pot of New York Jackson Heights. I was reading some awful, awful, one of those New York Times, was it the diary stories? But the one was like, my daughter was moving to Astoria, you know? <laughs> Terrifying! Like, I was terrified she was moving to Astoria. But then I met the Iranian hardware store guy and he turned out to be lovely. So A brown person wasn't a killer. Uh, unbelievable. It was cra- Yeah, there's another parade there today. Um, we have Jackson Heights has more parades. We we moved there in the end of July, and we've already had four parades that I know of. And then there's another one off, <laughs> that on you Halloween know of. that I know of. I'm sure I missed a few getting up late, but yeah, it was pretty, <laughs> you know it was a crazy parade today. I kind of I, I like that aspect of Jackson Heights. A lot but of anyway, parades. We have to introduce par- our oldie New York the parade district. show. We're back with uh, another episode of Dude, Where's My New York? Today, starring our new friend, uh, the author and storyteller, Tom Pryor. Hello. Welcome. Hi, Hi Judy. That's, hey, uh, Mike. Thomas R. Pryor, for those of you looking for him on uh, Amazon and whatnot, to buy his new book, I Hate the Dallas Cowboys. I Hate the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, fuck the Dallas Cowboys. Tales <laughs> of a Scrappy New York Boyhood. <laughs> and I want to uh, give Judy a copy Thank so you, you can get Mike much. his back, okay. and, as promised. Oh, and your other book here, River, the other book. River to River, New York Scenes from a Bicycle. And this looks a lot like uh, Yorkville, actually. This looks like the East River. That's uh, looking down towards um, uh, the Battery from about Christopher Street. Oh, okay. So because I saw the river on yeah. my right, so I assumed it was the East River. And knowing that you are a uh, denizen of Yorkville. No, unfortunately, the East River... Um, bikeway is nothing like the West Side bikeway. The West Side is blessed. Yeah, that's really Washington beautiful. Bridge to Battery no, it's, it's out ama- a car. It's a, it, it, is, it is amazing. The promenade there is pretty, pretty. Oh, it's beautiful. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, you're in Yorkville. You're in the Upper East Side, which has got kind of a reputation for being kind of a schmancy, yuppie neighborhood. It, but in your book, uh, it's really uh, tales of uh, you know time forgotten. I mean, a, a neighborhood of immigrants and. Kids kicking the shit out of each other. Absolutely, it was uh, walk-ups. I did not, I did not ride an elevator except at Macy's until I was nine years old, and they built a building around the corner from where I lived. And all of a sudden, I had friends um, who were in elevated buildings, and there was a bunch of them. And that's how we ended up playing indoor tackle because they were <laughs> latchkey kids. Both parents went to work, right. and uh, we would move all the furniture out of the living room. And put it into the um, bedrooms, and then we would play tackle football. It's, you know, it's out, I loved your book; it resonated very much with me. Um, we did the same thing: clear out the furniture. We played hockey. People got hurt. I mean, kids got hurt a lot you in those did. days. And, and playing I'll, Ring Olivio and yeah, all these crazy games well, and Buck Buck and, and you know, great, the Buck Buck Johnny on the Pony is, on the, is pony. the greatest game ever. And I would say. 10, 11 of my friends are seeing back specialists in, now in their late 50s. Because of something 60s. that happened to them when they were nine. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah. And, and, and parents didn't sue now. Like now, if your kid went over to someone's house and they, they conked themselves on a corner, like the, the parents could sue. Everyone's 
suing people, but... But it's better. It was so much better because everything was settled quickly. Mm-hmm. These two guys in 85th Street between New York and East End beat me up. And my, I went around the corner of my grandmother, and my two aunts saw me. And my two aunts with my mother went around the corner and beat the shit out of three kids <laughs> and told them, go, go home, tell your mother that we beat the shit out of you. And if she has a problem, we're at 1616 York Avenue. Yeah. Vigilante justice. This, this is how the West was won. I remember the, there was like no better words in, in school than her mother works. Because yeah. then it's like magic at their house. Oh, yeah. You got it to 530, quarter six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, just thinking about all that, just like reading these stories with these helicopter parents and things that go wrong. But I love, you know, if you were coughing, you would immediately be assumed that you had like whooping cough or were going to die. And the same with my house, too. It's like if I sneezed, it was like wrapped me up, you know, in like bundles of sweaters. It was raining out. I had slickers on. But in the meanwhile, everyone was like smoking at me. I didn't see a seatbelt until I was like 23 years old. And I went around riding my bike with like, you know, hitting people with baseball bats because that was a game we invented. That was okay. Same thing. One sniffle, though. (laughs) Cumulus clouds of Kent and Marlboro. Uh (laughs) And if I coughed, by the end of my second cough, I would smell Vicks vapor rub coming at me with two two of his sweatshirts. Your your moms were much nicer than mine. That was my father. I had to be like vomiting blood to get a day off of school. My mothers have, we have five kids. It was just like, yeah, screw you. You're still going to school. Now, that, I went to school, but it was school and vapor rubbed up and with the sweaters. And I mean, it could be a hurricane outside. And it's like, well, you had a yellow rain slicker, so you'll be okay. I remember a lot of really miserable mornings with like boots and slickers and whatever. But meanwhile, you know, they were driving the car and smoking at me with this like, you know, metal dashboard, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you know, pointed sharp metal dashboard and uh, completely irresponsible and, and otherwise no supervision. Absolutely. We used to go to the movies and if you were bad, they would put you in the smoking section. <laughs> that was before they threw you out. You had to do two bad things to get thrown out of Lowy's or the RKO. But the first thing, the matron or the mate, there would be a guy or it was usually a matron, grab you, pull you over the smoking section like it was a ranger game and you were going in a penalty <laughs> box. So you're going to sit there for 10 minutes and if you make a word, you're going out. Right. So we did that all the time. And do you mind if I mention my publisher and my please. editor before I forget? Please, Because I'm not going to forget, but we might in a short time. Uh, YBK Publishers graciously solicited not only River to River, New York Scenes from a Bicycle, my first uh, book, but they ran after me for I Hate the Dallas Cowboys, Tales of a Scrappy New York Boyhood. And YBK Publishers is a small shop on Crosby Street that has some great books. And then my editor is Frank Flaherty. And I would not have a book without Frank Flaherty. Frank Flaherty was uh, the city section and the home section deputy. And he ran day to day at the Times for the Sunday Times. And uh, Frank grew up. He didn't grow up. He went to high school in my neighborhood. Um, We're the same age. So he dove right in. And for a year, we were on the stoop together. And it was the most rewarding collaboration I've ever had in my life since I made bacon with my mother. <laughs> That's so nice to have an editor who edits and makes you like a better writer. That's such a, it's so rare now that a book editor edits. My publisher was in awe of how much work Frank put in to make my book readable. I, I barely talk English well. I, you know, I, <laughs> I don't think you know, that's, that's true that, at all. I, but... I write because I, I I can't communicate otherwise. Well, hardly, hardly, Tom. You're um, a noted storyteller. Do you want a long, long-running, successful storytelling series? 
Yes, I have. Uh, it's called uh, Stoops to Nuts. It's City Story Stoops to Nuts. And it's the second Tuesday of uh, every month at Cornelia Street Cafe. And um, I started telling stories down there in 07. And um, they asked me to do a monthly show about four, four and a half years ago. And I love it. I love it because I merge music. And a lot of people from Loser's Lounge mm-hmm. come and the narrative, Amanda Thorpe, Leanne Smith, uh, people like that. Joe McGinty came recently with Andrea Diaz. Um, they come and they do their original work. And it always ties in with the storytellers because um, the storytellers want to be musicians and musicians yeah. want to be writers. And it's always a nice love fest. Um, but I enjoy it. And, th- and that place has been around for a really long time. There's 1977. Yeah, I'm surprised they're still there. It's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Over it's the it's got great there. food. When you were growing up uh, up in Yorkville, did you make it down to the village a lot? Uh, I went I mean, to uh, high school on 2nd and 2nd, LaSalle Academy. Yeah, Dennis and the Thelmore and the Academy <laughs> Music and those sort of homes. I saw Sly and the Family Stone at the Electric Circus on St. <laughs> Mark's when I was 14. I mean, it really is like the highlight of my um, concert-going experience. Um, now I go see John Hyatt, and I get as excited, but <laughs> I don't get excited like a 14-year-old. I get excited like a 60-year-old, and that level of excitement impacts you the same way, but it's so different. Yeah. I have an extra beer now. <laughs> an extra beer. There's, a, there's a, lot, a lot of beer in your book, by the way. This is a good segue. Because I grew up, I remember we were talking, you were talking like getting uh, your knuckles wrapped, basically getting slugged by a nun for singing a beer jingle. Oh, I was, uh, it started as a hum, and I was in the back of, back of the class, and I was just like in Yankee land, and it was uh, just baseball and Valentine, baseball and Valentine, all across the nation, what a fake sensation, <laughs> baseball and Valentine. Hey, Liz, do you have, um, do you have the Schaefer uh, jingle queued up? We got that Louis Armstrong doing the Schaefer jingle. One beer to have when you A tagline, by the way, that would not last 10 fucking seconds in today's market. Yeah, he could sing. He could sing a dictionary. Yeah, Richard Burton could read it, and it'd be good. No, I'm ready for some Schaefer after hearing that. Um, we're talking before too. But <laughs> when Jimmy Breslin was the spokesperson, one of the great New Yorkers for appeals, uh, who followed, he followed uh, Bob and Ray. Yes, he did. Then he ran for mayor. He ran for mayor with Norman Mailer. That was. <laughs> and then he didn't get shot by anybody downtown after he wrote the gang. They couldn't uh, shoot straight. Uh, you know, I, 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 I thought that guaranteed at least one hit try on him. I met Jimmy Breslin when I was uh, covering one of Al Goldstein's uh, harassment trials and. Uh, Jimmy Breslin was there covering as well. And I was just gaga because I've learned so much from reading his column over the years. I mean, he's the great New York reporter of all time. This guy could fall out of bed and find a story. Um, And I was just so in in awe of him. And I actually got to see him on on a payphone. This is in a Brooklyn uh, courthouse building. He actually, you know, this is not that long ago. I mean, everybody else has cell phones, of course. But Jimmy puts a quarter of the payphone, dials a number. And presumably, you know, he got the Daily News on the other end. He goes, copy. 
<laughs> and he called in the story. It was like so front page. It was like, was I mean, I had goosebumps. It was like, you know, it was like sitting there watching like Jimmy Page put down a guitar solo for, you know, for Scoop Edison over here. I was just, just in awe. And he was really super nice to me as well when I, when I, when I talked to him. And I was kind of obviously turning into a fanboy. Oh, Mr. Breslin, you know, he, just a super nice guy. The last of a dying breed, certainly. I absolutely agree. Uh, him and Pete Hamill. And with uh, Jimmy Breslin, his um, son Patrick worked for me for four years in housing, and he looked just like him. And it was always a weird experience. He's a very nice guy, Pat. And um, through through Pat, um, I also know that Ronnie Eldridge is married to Pat because my grandmother was an elected official, Mm -hmm. and him, uh, my grandmother and Ronnie were were friends because they were on county committee together for, for New York County. So it's very incestuous, and it's always nice because um, Breslin was not a weepy writer. I love that he was writing good, honest stories 50 years ago. You know, when it, there was a, an emphasis to sentimentalize everything, and they were raw, and it, it always felt like you were a fly on the wall when you read a story of his. Yeah, absolutely, no question about it. And I remember especially, um, just speaking about Jimmy Breslin, when uh, that whole Bernie Getz thing went down, his story was the one, I, I made copies of it and I gave it to people because they just didn't understand what had really happened. His story was called, hey, I got $5 for you. But he really trailed it in how the story went from... You know, how, how Bernard Getz became a hero, a guy riding around, you know, in some ways with a gun in his pocket, and he was somehow, you know, a hero of the story, and the kids were these thugs carrying weapons, and it just wasn't the case, right. you know? It was just so awful, and he was, like, to me, like, the one voice of sanity in that whole fucking, uh, fucking mess. Yeah. He did Son of Sam, too. Yeah, I mean, well, he I, got I, the letters from Son yeah. of Sam, yeah. which, uh... You know, and he wrote the book about it, 44, which is slightly fictionalized, but pretty, pretty compelling as well. I mean, he's quite a writer. He wrote all that great those fiction, but um, his last book, Jimmy Breslin's book, I believe the exact title is, I want to thank my brain for remembering me. <laughs> you know, he had an operable brain tumor, and it was horrifying. I couldn't get through the whole thing. It was so deeply personal and scary and so far away from what you expect from Jimmy Breslin, this hard-drinking, you know, you know, Reporter, you know, really on the beat, the last of the old school kind of reporters. Um, and it was just terrifying that his brain went south. Yeah. And, he, and he came back from it, you know? He did. I think he, he still carries his swimming trunks around with him and swims <laughs> every day. Because Patrick said he was still swimming. The old school. I don't even know who, who's left. I love the story in your book. Um, I mean, you talked about uh, some of the old Yankees, Mickey Mantle and Sparky Lyle. And yeah. that was my era. But I love the story. I mean, I've had a bad divorce with the Yankees recently. I couldn't can't watch them anymore. I fell out Me with too. them. I mean, it's the Steinbrenner era, the corporate sports, like corporate rock, just fucking sucks. Um, I will never go to that new stadium, and I've said it far too many times in public ever to rescind that. <laughs> I'm not even on the Yogi Berra plan, 14 years. I'm like, okay. No, I'm never going to set foot in the new Yankee Stadium. But I love your story about going to the old Yankee Stadium and hiding out in the bathroom until everyone was gone, so after they locked up, you could run the bases. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, we used to hide in the bottom grants, uh, bottom of the grandstand uh field level in the bathroom before any movie ever had someone standing on a toilet bowl and <laughs> this one guy there was only one guy security his name was the major same as ralph Houck's nickname mm-hmm. and he he had a, he didn't have a peg leg but he should have the way he walked and he would go around the grandstand go around the mezzanine go around and that was the last bathroom so we knew if he came in and didn't see us we had the place to ourselves. We used to go into the visiting dugout and walk the players from the locker room to the bus running in left field bullpen. 
and we'd get autographs and then we'd run back and we'd run back. And the only son of a bitch in the entire American League who wouldn't sign an autograph for me was Carl Yastrzemski. Fucking yeah. And I still have hard on for the guy. I mean, I really want somebody to take away his records or something. <laughs> Lose his MVP. And he says to me, he goes, kid, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? What's it worth to you? And the idiot didn't see it coming. This guy could go out now for five days earn an annual income and come back. And we went around all of the monuments and we touched Babe Ruth and we touched Lou Gehrig and we touched the Pope. It was great. I mean, it was so Who much fun. Who doesn't sign an autograph for a little kid? Uh, he didn't. He had, he had a butt, a buzz. He had a butt, a Budweiser, and he was carrying um, dry cleaning. Oh, not, he that, saw, not that so that So he didn't have a free hand, <laughs> so he couldn't sign an autograph for a 10-year-old. I lied, and I told him that I grew up in Montauk because I knew that he was from Southampton, and his father was a potato or a strawberry farmer. Didn't, he goes, what part of Montauk? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, you know, I couldn't even the see it except on a map. It's at the end. Block Island, you can see it. I got to say, I, I lament all these old baseball players. Everybody's talking about Derek Jeter. And yeah, I know the guy can run and hit and catch. And he's like absolutely fantastic. I look at him. And I just see like, like there's like nothing in his eyes. It's just he's this weird like android of a player and like i don't think he has any personality i just i just wish he had something like i can hang on you know it's like right. i know he i know he's been wonderful playing shortstop all these years but i just don't care about him well isn't you he know? gone now yeah he he just retired oh, but, he, but he's so flat he, yeah he's he like is. A flat i mean he seems to be a good person Yankees. but he's a i do flat like person. i do like that he gives gift baskets to any woman he sleeps with i think that's a nice i'm thing. waiting for mine <laughs> did, did you put out <laughs> i I think you got to. I think you got to. You got to toss a salad. According, a... according to Gawker, you got to toss a salad yeah, to get you're... the gift basket. <laughs> Only, no. And there was a pretty graphic illustration on Gawker stealing a note from uh, my old employer, Screw, of Derek Jeter on all fours. But... Oh. <laughs> oh, you missed that, didn't you, Judy? I think I can find I it. That. that was a highlight at Dan Los Salas, seventy-one and seventy-two. We'd go down to the newsstand at Houston and get the new Screw magazine when it came out and put it in our red school bags. <laughs> what would your mom do if she caught you doing that? Oh, God, this is a story about that. My grandmother was the wise one. Uh-huh. I had, like, some clubs and wees and penthouses and playboys, and they were all neatly stacked, and they were all um, alphabetized. They did everything, right? And I kept them under my underwear drawer. My you alphabetized house. your pornography? When she did, when she did the laundry, she would move them carefully and put the laundry back on top of them. My mother, on the other hand, she comes up to me. I must have been about thirteen years old. She goes, "What are you doing to your blanket?" I go, "What?" <laughs> she goes, "You're doing something to your blanket, and you, you got to stop. I can't, I can't clean your blanket." And I'm like, "Oh God." <laughs> I I worked with someone who who used to bang on the bathroom door when her fourteen year old boy was she deemed he was in there for too long. I'll bet you he can't come anymore because yeah. of <laughs> But maybe he lasts a long time. He either lasts a really long time or he or he like is like a quick shot. Like right out of <laughs> There has to be noise involved with his act. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so wait, you did you go to Catholic school? St. Stephen's of Hungary on eighty second oh, street. Boy did he. He's like the stories about the nuns in this book and I they, being they, like, a nice Jewish boy. No, this, this is like, for me, I'm always very just like amazed and astounded by the stories of like nuns beating on children. I was an altar boy. I was in the choir. I was a crossing guard. I, uh, I was the go-to altar boy for Father Benedict Dudley, who was the chaplain in the New York Giants. And 
close with Wellington Mara and uh, Vince Lombardi from Rose Hill from Fordham. But the other night I collaborated with St. Stephen's of Hungary. Their fourth graders came and read their Yorkville memories oh, before so my. And it was great. We had about 130 people. There were five, five kids read their pieces. They were hysterical. One was about Coney Island. The other one was about Jones Beach. And uh, it was just a lot of fun. And it was just a great reception. I didn't get over it until I'm not over it. <laughs> I went to Lose's Lounge, and I just, it just kept going. Uh, you know, at Joe's Pub. And uh, it, was, it was humbling. It was humbling. It really was. Oh, that's 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 amazing. I was, was I humbled? I, I was humbled. There's, there's, a, <laughs> yeah. there, there's this part of me that really wants to get slapped by a nun. I feel like it was just something. Oh no, my, it, no. It, it, it was something part of my upbringing that I missed somehow. No, it's like tackle football. You <laughs> want to see if you can withstand it, you know. But the problem with some of these nuns were they they had masters of science and they used to drop their just like gravity do do it and and wacky and right on the top in the center of your head and it's the worst place to rub you can't. Can't really rub the top of the center of your head well the way you can other parts of your head. We didn't get they they had stopped hitting kids by the time I got to Catholic school. You look Irish Catholic, by the way, <laughs> McGuire. Um, but my mom, when she went to Catholic school, and I don't know why she sent me after this, they would you know hit them. And my mother's family was very poor, so they were always late with her tuition. So they would bring her to the front of the class and tell the entire class how Francis's parents were too cheap to pay for her <laughs> education. So it's not even like... I think that bothered her more than the getting hit. I just don't... I know exactly what makes him so That's cranky. painful. It's horrible. Yeah, I, I, and why would you send your kid to Catholic school after that? I'm still mad at my father for not hitting me and just having that threat of hitting there. I was like, get it over with. Stop <laughs> it. Please, will you? So, yeah, that's all over. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. And Jamie said I had to say it three times, so I've said it twice. <laughs> One more time. I hate the Dallas Cowboys is the name of my book. And today I'd be hating them actively because at 425, <laughs> we're going to kick their ass. You're going down. We, we being the New York Giants. Of course. I suspend of, my disbelief. Most, most lately of New Jersey. I suspend my disbelief that they actually care that I root for them. And if I don't root for them, <laughs> they get very sad. Well, this is one of the sad. reasons I, I had to divorce from the New York Yankees. Because I realized it was a one-way relationship. I mean, I, stuck, <laughs> I mean, I stuck through them. Like, through the 80s, they barreled into fourth place behind the Brewers. You know, I stuck it out through Buckyball and Stumpball. And, you know, Billy Ball. I love Billy Martin. I mean, he was, I mean, to me. It was crazy. It was out of control. I mean, he burnt. I mean, I know people hated him. I mean, on the, you know, the team, right. the team hated him. Some some pitchers got it, and some pitchers just you know actively hated him. But they, they won, and it, it was a little crazy. But man, the and you, I was reading your book. You became the president of the Sparky Lyle Fan Club just to talk about the old school Bronx Zoo, the classic Bronx Zoo. Yeah, in 1972, um, I uh, I was sitting in, in the last seat out in right field, right next to the bullpen. And um, a ball player started talking to me. He was bored. It was a wipeout. <laughs> All my friends went home. I stayed by myself. It was like seventh, eighth inning. And uh, it was Sparky Lyle. And he liked football. I liked football. He, he uh, was a lefty. He liked being a running back. We liked some music together. And, uh, you know, when we were done talking and he was going into the dugout after the game, I said, I'm going to make you a T-shirt. I'm going to make you a T-shirt and give it to you tomorrow. So I made him a T-shirt and gave it to him. Then he goes, are you going to come to the game the next day? I go, yeah. 
He goes, well, I'm going to wear your T-shirt. So I go to the game, and I don't see him in the bullpen for most of the game, and I'm going nuts. It's, the, it's against the uh, Texas Rangers, their first year out of Washington as the Senators. So it's June 72. I'm at the game. I can't fight Sparky Lyle, and I'm going nuts. And the players say he got married. Another one said he, he's meeting the Pope. And I said, I didn't know you had so many comedians on the team. And I run back, and it's the eighth inning. Frank Howard's coming up, six foot eight. And who comes in? Sparky Lyle. He was probably under the bleachers doing something. <laughs> so he strikes out three Rangers with the bases loaded on 10 pitches, one foul ball. And he's coming off the mound and he's hitting his chest with his glove. And then he sees me because I'm going nuts behind him. <laughs> he opens four buttons, shows me my shirt, oh. and it looks like a gunshot wound. Because I use flare pen for the stripes. <laughs> so I get home, and my grandmother says, I saw, I saw your shirt on Channel 11. She, she goes, it looks like it was bleeding. I go, yeah, I use flare pen. She goes, why didn't you use a Bic? <laughs> so my grandmother knew, 19 cents Bic. I, how to make the shirt. She was a wise woman. She Live watched games. Learn. She did three or four things simultaneously so well. She was incredible. She was the district leader. Um, she pretty much ran the neighborhood for years. It was when fixing tickets was uh, party responsibility as right. a district leader. You know, getting out of getting out of jury duty was part of your responsibility. She always had a lot of alcohol. It was a black cabinet with every type of, and she didn't drink because she wanted to have whatever your favorite drink was when she came up. Once I come up and, and uh, Cuomo's there when he's running for governor, and he brings along one of his kids. And I'm looking at this guy, and I go, he's a wise-ass son of a bitch. Look at him, that little smug. He was about a year or two younger than me. So when they leave, I only learn later that that was Andrew. And he hasn't changed. He's an asshole. Why does anybody on earth, including his children, like him? <laughs> I'm, what a I'm, miserable son a real, of a bitch. real disappointment. I, and the fact, like, you know, in New York elections. He's a bully. He's and, a horrible person. And, man, in New York State, I mean, corrupt New York State politics is, is Wasn't it great how he pulled pulled it out after pu putting it in? I mean, <laughs> here he goes. He's got a committee going, and yeah, maybe we're going to clean it up. Hey, Silver's finally going to get a piece of it at 80 years old. Yeah, not, I mean, whoop. not bloody likely. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I, find, I just moved to Queens, and I got registered to vote just in time so I can vote Green Party against that motherfucker. I know. I don't even care if Rob Estorino wins. He won't, but it makes no difference. I love this. It's turned into like WOR about 40 years ago. <laughs> and we do politics. We should do a special. Oh, rambling with gambling. We should We should. do a special just like the golden days of Queens Democratic politics. Yeah. You know, Donald Manning. Donald Manning. Okay. Where was the Donald you Manning book? I don't, I don't feel do that well today. today. Do I, mean, I think I'm going to stab myself in while the I'm kitchen. While, while, while I'm talking on the phone, after my failed suicide attempt or a faked murder robbery attempt, in my car. Boy, those were the days, huh? Well, there you go about genetic depression. <laughs> his brother did the same thing in the same manner. Uh, I, I and didn't his know father that. committed suicide. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I just well, we're that ending the, on a dark note. On the, on the final days of the Koch administration. Well, maybe next week when we come back, I'll tell you when about the time I got into a fight with Ed Koch. But it's been the fastest half hour on the internet today. You Where know, can we find Tom's book? My book. I hate the Dallas Cowboys. Can be found <laughs> Fuck on the Dallas Cowboys. Fuck them on Amazon and on 
Barnes & Noble and on A Books and pretty much any place on the internet that sells books. And it's reasonably priced and it's 300 pages and there's 85 black and white old photographs of old New York and old Yorkville, the neighborhood I still love. All right, reasonably priced but unreasonably good. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. uh, uh, recommend it to everyone without qualification. So once again, on Arts and Seizure, uh, for Judy McGuire and Tom and for Liz in the booth, it's Mike Edison. We'll see you guys next week. We're going out with uh, Sinatra and Kelly. What are we hearing? On the town. New York, New York. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.